Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today I'm joined by Jess McFadden, Luke Smith and Jonathan Noble. And today we're here to preview, again, the 2020 Formula One season, which is finally about to get underway with the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. Now, things will, of course, be very different because of the coronavirus pandemic. So, unfortunately, Luke and I will be reporting on the opening races from home, using all sorts of supporting material to make sure we're bringing you all of our usual in-depth coverage, analysis, the race reports, etc. that has been made available to all full-time Formula One journalists. But, John... You will be in Austria. Well, we hope because you've had at least one flight cancelled and it's been a bit of a palaver, quite painful. Uh, But you are hopefully going to be on the ground. You've been coronavirus tested, negative, which is excellent. How's it all been going? And is this the weirdest build up in terms of travel logistics to a race you've ever had? Yeah, I mean, Australia was all, everything was all booked before we went to Australia. Um, And obviously you were checking the news and seeing what was happening. But logistic wise, it was quite easy, whereas this is a lot of hoops to get through. So Sunday, Sunday morning, what should I do in the day? The original day of the French Grand Prix, I was up at Silverstone having the uh, coronavirus test that you need 72 hours before you arrive in Austria, 96 hours before you get into the, um, they'll let you into the paddock, into the track. Um, so swab down the throat, swab up each nostril. That was done twice. So uh, not the most pleasant of experiences. Um, negative test result came back yesterday. All looks fine. And then today's been a day of, for myself and a few other journalists, flight cancellations. Uh, and now trying to work out alternative ways of getting there. Obviously, there's not as many flights going, a lot more restrictions, a uh, lot more, a lot fewer um, options for getting to places. So, fingers crossed, I'm going tomorrow. 
but let's wait and see what tomorrow brings. Let's hope for the best. It'll be really good to have you on the ground. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting way to cover a Grand Prix for all of us. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I've I've never covered a Grand Prix before because the pandemic delightfully <laughs> happened just as I was about to make my debut in Melbourne on the far side of the world, having gone all that way. Not that I'm bitter about it or anything, you know, and obviously far more, far more terrible and serious things have happened in the meantime. But John, let's just let's just go back to you again. Um, what are we expecting to be different about this Austrian Grand Prix in terms of all the coronavirus protocols? What's going to look different in terms of what people will see when they tune in on, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I think once the TV cameras are focused on the track, there won't be a, you won't notice a difference. The cars will be going around as they normally are. The, the intensity of the competition, what the, the teams are going through in terms of you know testing tyres and understanding setup will all be the same. But when you shift into the pit lane and when you shift into the paddock, Things will be very different. Um, everyone will be wearing face masks. Uh, in the paddock, there'll be no motorhomes. Instead, the trucks are going to be moved further back into the paddock. There'll be tents. There'll be awnings behind the garage to try and give people space. Everyone's going to be more spaced out for social distancing. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very different vibe down in the paddock. And because there's need for social bubbles, so um, the teams can't mix with each other, and there's social bubbles within teams, so the, the crew on, say, Lewis Hamilton's car won't mix with the crew on Valtteri Bottas' car. They're trying to keep people as far apart as possible to minimise the the risk of an infection spreading through a team or spreading through the paddock. Um, I think it's going to be quite a, a weird vibe for what you what you can and can and can't do. Um, even from the media ourselves, we aren't allowed in the paddock. We aren't allowed in the pit lane. Um, there'll be some organised press conferences where the, the drivers or team representatives will be brought up to the media centre. Um, it'd be interesting to see if that's behind perpex screens and we've got to keep face masks on all these uh, two metres of social distancing. Um, but the days of, uh, you know, press scrums and us all crowded around, cameras in our faces and trying to dig our bolodictophones in close to drivers, they're gone for now. Yeah, it seems almost remarkable to think that over 100 days ago, we were all in Melbourne and that scrum around Chase Carey and the, and, and um, Michael Massey from the FIA and, and the Australian Grand Prix Corporation officials, there were hundreds of people gathered around there with all the TV crews, which just, you just think now that the world has, has adapted and shifted and moved on, that just wouldn't be allowed at all. But Jess, coming to you, I mean, at least finally now we can say Formula One is back. How much are you looking forward to this weekend getting underway? I mean, yeah, it's just someone was saying to me it's been seven months since we've, you know, since we've had the season and, and I can't believe it's been seven months. It's it's almost been, it, it feels like I can't believe this weekend's actually happening and there's still a little part of me that's really hoping beyond all hope that nothing's going to come in to, to mess it up. But it's been such a long time now um, and I mean that's almost going to give this season a bit of a what I hope a bit of an excitement a bit of a boost because these cars haven't been out on track since uh, since testing and whilst some people might have had you know various teams have had their media days where they've been able to use the 2020 car for filming they've not really had that much of a of a um, of a stretch out to get their to get that feeling back in the car and as we've seen with the likes of, of Ferrari they've come out and said you know we don't have any updates because the car wasn't performing like we thought it was going to and now we're going to get to see that actually play out in racing which yeah I'm just I'm massively massively looking forward to it 
Absolutely. Well, Jess has raised an interesting point there that I'm going to throw to you, Luke, is that Red Bull are the only one of the top three teams that have been able to properly, well, kind of properly, use their 2020 uh, design because they've done a filming day at Silverstone. Now, with the rules uh, of using the current cars, because, of course, outside the normal testing restrictions, you can't really use them. They're only limited to 100 kilometres on demonstration tyres, whereas uh, Mercedes and Ferrari had to conduct their pre-Austria preparations, just sort of, you know, shaking the rust off after the lockdowns, really. They had to do that with 2018 cars now that meant that they they were sort of a little bit more freer in what they could do but obviously it's a it's a different car it's one from two years ago that's the the rules are there in in place that no one gains an advantage but would Red Bull have got a slight advantage by being able to get a little bit more familiar with their RB16 uh, well I think all running with the current car I think that's always good like obviously you would rather have it than not have it but I think that I think what I'm personally really interested to see is just how all the teams adjust to these new protocols and ultimately get used to running with the sort of trimmed down team numbers and things such as that. And um, I know uh, Mercedes, for example, although they were uh, obviously had to use the 2018 car, they went through every single element of that Grand Prix weekend um, using these new protocols, working with uh, trimmed down uh, staff numbers. And even even to the point of like putting the car on the grid and doing like a proper grid start and everything like that. And they really, I think, sort of thought, well, let's use the fact that we're not as limited on uh, our test running and things like that to go through those sort of protocols. And I think that, yeah, while it's all good that Red Bull would have used the 2020 car, the fact that it was only 100 kilometres they're limited to means that it's a, I don't know, you're not going to get a huge amount out of that I think compared to um, what you would with a, a full day of testing in terms of learning these protocols um, I think all teams have braced that the Friday in uh, Austria is going to be a really really busy one like data gathering is going to be so so important because they ultimately they've not had running in so long a lot of the teams got big update packages coming uh, Renault promised a triple update package uh, what would have been on the car for uh, the races in Vietnam Holland and in Spain and I think things such as that I think that's where I think Friday in Austria like it's going to be probably the most important practice sessions that we've seen in F1 for a long, long time because they're not only shaking off the dust and uh, I guess getting into sort of the routine of a new Grand Prix weekend, but they've got, in some cases, such heavily different cars to what they had uh, when we last saw them running in uh, in pre-season testing. Absolutely. I hope our uh, technical editor, Jake Boxall-Leg, realises what hell he's in for on Friday because every car pretty much, perhaps not the Ferrari, well, definitely not the Ferrari, as Jesse said earlier, but a lot of updates are going to be there and it's going to be interesting just to see. I spoke to Christian Horn the other day for an interview that's in uh, the Autosport magazine, which is returning to your shelves, to your doors, hopefully with your subscribers this Thursday. Do check that out uh, for a feature in, in the magazine. And it was interesting, first of all, because like, he did get in one particularly uh, good psychological marker laid down where he said that Red Bull have already immediately on that filming day done a sub two second pit stop despite the lockdown which I thought was quite good of him there um but also just just the fact that yeah they they have they have rolled on all their updates that they would would have introduced in the in the early part of the season so John maybe coming back to you are we then therefore I mean Ferrari have already said in, in testing we're behind Red Bull and Mercedes well they they almost certainly are now if they're not going to if they're not going to update their car until Hungary but maybe that's when Ferrari might be joining the battle a little bit more if they're going to perhaps completely rework the, the the fundamental bits of their car yeah I think we've got a we'll have a disconnect between what we saw in testing and uh what we see at now this first race because normally there's very little time between the final day of testing and the first race in Melbourne. You know, a few teams bring a few updates, but normally the final day of testing in Barcelona is the package for Australia. But now you've got months and months of development. So I think it's impossible to predict where the Red Bull and where the Mercedes battle, uh, you know, will turn out 
because yeah, the car updates could could make the world a difference. And you know, it was significant that Red Bull last week, you know, 100 kilometers, but the eagle-eyed observers spotted a lot of changes on that car, especially in the floor area, um, the side pod area. So some big air updates with the new Honda engine coming as well. There, spec two. There is going to be a step forward there. But you know, this news from Ferrari that they're going down a different aero route. They're doing some major revamp. Meaning they're going to have, in effect, their Barcelona car. Means I don't think we can expect them to be fighting at the front in Austria. So I think we've got a straight Red Bull v Mercedes battle. Mercedes, we they released a video of James Allison saying basically effectively that what they had in testing was effectively a frozen bit of development from almost Christmas. And then what you would have seen added onto the car in, in Australia in the early part of the year obviously hasn't been able to, but it will be coming for Austria. So it's that effectively they're going to be unleashing about three months worth of work onto the onto the W11. So fair to say that they'll be making a, a bigger step a better well a significant step as well yeah you definitely expect it i think um it's really exciting that although ferrari are on the back foot and as john said obviously they're not going to bring anything until hungary that both red bull and mercedes have come out of the blocks very early on and said look we've got we've got these updates we've not stopped working even with everything going on in the world we've still got our heads down and really sort of focused on this development work and uh, yeah, for the, both of them to come out and say that, look, we're going to be even even quicker, hopefully, in uh, in Austria than we would have been starting the season. I think that that's really good. Like, it's really exciting. I think we we know that with the uh, obviously the car freeze for 2021, as we're going to get onto later, it's kind of going to be a bit of a funny period for F1 development. And uh, I know there's certain freeze points through the year uh, with the token system that's coming in, limiting how much teams can uh, develop their cars. So I think for both of them to come out of the blocks really early on and say, look, we we've got these up. Their packages coming that that's really promising like i think it's good i think we do want to keep, sort of keep this uh level of uh level of gamesmanship and uh, this sort of arms race i guess between between at least two parties and uh yeah hopefully ferrari once they get their act together for hungary hopefully they can uh, join that fight at the front as well because uh it's uh, it's going to be a funny old season it's unprecedented obviously right now we only have eight races confirmed but i think we do really want to see a close fight between these front two hopefully front front three teams all the way through the season if possible um but uh yeah it's i think as john said i think it is looking likely to be a two-horse race uh, for the first race in austria but all those months ago in february is another lifetime ago i was reading i was reading through my the report i wrote for autosport magazine just just to just to include a little you know little updates and touches for for the current issue in terms of you know what actually happened in february and uh, there's a line where i said and yet the coronavirus pandemic could yet throw the whole calendar into complete uproar which at the time of writing i mean i only remember writing it it was like it was a throwaway line basically no one would have thought just how just how utterly everything was going to change to the point where we all flew off to australia and certainly for me didn't even enter my mind what was gonna what was gonna happen but just going back to testing Mercedes came away with the fastest time. They looked as strong as they as they as they ever did as they when they ended 2019. But we didn't really think we didn't really see what the Red Bull was capable of. But there was genuinely sort of a a real they're really exuding confidence, paying paying cards very close to their chest. Ferrari, a little bit at sea, came out and said, "Yeah, we're not we we don't think we're there. We're thereabouts." And then the midfield, very very close, led we think by Racing Point with their very similar uh, design to last year's Mercedes. So. Jess, I just wanted to ask you about what Luke touched on there in terms of we've only got eight races. We don't know how many how many we're going to get. It might be as maximum as eight, might be up to 18, might be 15, probably more, more than likely if you, if you add everything together. We don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. It'll be less than that. Obviously, we want as many as we can get. But how much do you think that's going to change the sort of the tone and the feeling of the season? Teams are usually 
almost like clockwork planning through the season when updates are going to be coming uh, planning even you know the order in which they're uh, approaching these races it all comes down to every last individual detail and right now we don't have any so um, I don't know specifically how each team is going to be approaching it but you've got to be thinking that they are trying to plan as far in advance as possible and it's just not possible this year uh, I'm sure we're, we're we're meant to be getting a little bit of an idea of how that calendar might shape up in in the coming days but we're, we're looking at eight races and and they are all European races right now and they're not necessarily in the order um that 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 they're they've played out before it's a completely and utterly shifted calendar so I personally am really interested in how that might shake things up because obviously in previous years we kind of start the season uh, it's very much in Mercedes favour they usually come away I mean last year they came I think it was was it five um, one twos in the in the first five races which was you know, just for the fans especially, was just a bit gutting to see. So we're not going to have that this year because we're starting at a track that is actually pretty favourable to Red Bull. So it's just the way that that's going to play out. It's going to be a completely different story, which I think is going to really mix things up and and make this, this year definitely one to remember. And I think the lack of certainty as to how long this calendar is going to be I mean that's having a particularly big impact on the smaller teams as well um, Gunsteiner he, he spoke to the, uh, the media last week and he said that Haas couldn't really set their budget for the year and know when updates were going to come all the way through the season because they don't know how long the season's going to be they don't know how many races they're going to have therefore they don't know what slice of revenue they're going to get from hosting fees and things such as that so it's it's really complicated the picture for everybody and I think that's um, that obviously has brought a lot of uncertainty um, obviously there are teams going through a lot of lot of measures now to uh, try and help their futures. You know, McLaren has, has got a, a loan from uh, the National Bahrain Bank um, to help it, it sort of push going forward. We know that Williams is looking for fresh investment or maybe even a new buyer completely for the team. So it is, it's a difficult time. But I think that the flip side of that is we do have this sort of that uncertainty can really, I think, lead to quite an exciting season. I think it's uh, if we throw in maybe a few sort of freak results here and there as well, maybe have some inclement weather as looks possible in Austria this weekend. I think it could be yeah, really, really fascinating and really shake things up. And um, uh, I did a feature a couple of weeks ago sort of looking up if we had this eight race season as the year, as the season last year, basically, um, how the championship would have gone. And it, it was brilliant. Like It started with Max Verstappen going to a really, really dominant lead to begin with. And then uh, Hamilton turned the table sort of midway through the season and then the clerk went on this great surge towards the end of the year but it wasn't quite enough to stop Lewis and uh, yeah that's really really cool so I think uh, hopefully we can have sort of uh, more stories like that coming through this season. The last couple of years uh, the Red Bull ring Max Verstappen has come away victorious and Mercedes has seemed to struggle and I was sort of thinking about that and I was thinking well maybe you know if we if we want to have a really a really interesting uh, title battle right from the off Red Bull's got to hit the ground running straight away but what's perhaps more interesting is the fact that it actually Mercedes have been quick the last couple of years at the Red Bull Ring. It's just been reliability that's let them down. But again, that ties back into this season. John, maybe you could maybe you could um, explain what happened in testing with the with the with the Mercedes reliability. It was the it was it was the the champion squad that suddenly didn't appear to be all that bulletproof, and we saw it mani- manifest itself quite massively at Williams as well, the customer team. But I think the problems in testing, um, from what I recall, were, were a batch problem, um, which they'd gone through and worked out and in the end felt there wasn't wouldn't be a compromise for the Australian Grand Prix. But one of the lessons that Mercedes took out last year of Austria and the other high altitude race in Mexico was that their engine wasn't perhaps power unit what perhaps wasn't best optimized um for high altitude. Um the turbo 
um, operates in a in a different um, environment. Um, much favoured, much favoured, much more the Honda engine, and we saw Max Verstappen doing, you know, so well last in Austria, winning the race. Should have been on pole in Mexico, but had the the yellow flag infringement. Um, and the Mercedes, you know, weren't at their best on both of those. But I think the Mercedes talked about learning the lessons from there, uh, revamping the design a little bit, trying to work out where the weaknesses were to improve. So I think this will be a good test bed um, this weekend and the weekend after about how much progress Mercedes have made. Uh, at the altitude tracks there have been a lot of a lot of rule changes announced in this in this three months since uh, things have gone by since australia we should really have been talking about had everything played out as we'd have all wanted to in terms of 2020 being normal we'd have been looking forward to the whole new the reset formula one all the new car designs coming that's been pushed back to 2022 you know teams ordinarily would have been like well we're getting towards the middle of the season now are we going to stop development and focus on next year's car and that all that toing and froing but everything's all all different now we're going to keep the current cars in majority form going into 2021 so perhaps could you just talk us through what that big change means and you know how significant is it that there was big agreement on that and also in the other rules that have come in that the cost cap things like that yeah, well, I think there had to be. I think that a lot of uh, F1 stakeholders have spoken about this being a time for compromise. And ultimately, they knew they had to put the interest of the team to one side and really look at the bigger picture. And this pandemic it's is creating all kinds of unprecedented situations for everyone all over the world. Um, and Formula One is not immune to that as much as the sport may be a bubble at times. This is a, a very, very serious time for the sport. And uh, I think we just really want to make sure that we have a sport still going and uh, that is sustainable for the future. So the, the cost cap was a big part of that. Ultimately, it was that they wanted to make it more sustainable. Um, Jean Todd, president of the FIA, he spoke about the need for a new deal and to make motorsport basically work better all over the world. Uh, and for F1, the cost cap, I think, was was crucial to that. Uh, that was meant to come into force next year at 175 million. Uh, that's now been reduced to 145 million, and that's going to slide down to, I believe, 135 in the next couple of years. So it's steps like that that I think F1 are doing to really make this a sustainable venture for teams. And so the manufacturers, if you're a Renault or a Mercedes, if you're told we need to make X billion savings across the company because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the F1 project isn't one of the first things to get the chop because ultimately it is a, uh, it's a it's a pursuit that doesn't really contribute in terms of uh, technology. Like I mean, there are contributions, but it's not it's not really essential. I mean, a road car company, the big thing that they do is sell cars. But um, this new deal, it's it's it is good. Like Renault have already committed to the to the future for F1. They've said that this new deal makes it viable. I think all of the teams are hoping that they can get good business models now where their F1 operations are profitable, which should be ideal for everybody. So that's big. Uh, and the carrier of the cars, again, that is a, another huge thing. I think it's uh, going to save obviously a lot of uh, development costs that would have been rife through this year. Uh, teams were braced for, I think, the most expensive year of F1 spending ever because they ultimately needed to get ready for the 2021 for the new cars, but also to beat the budget cap. But now that's all been put on hold. So I think that's uh, that, that that's a very good thing. And again, that was something that uh, Ferrari were initially opposed to. They wanted the new rules in ASAP, but they said that they had to put their own interests to one side and really look at the bigger picture. So it's good. Like It's been good, for, I think, sort of as an F1 political exercise that everyone has been so united, so on the same page. Uh, there may still be some little disagreements here and there, such as uh, Mercedes blocking the uh, reverse grid uh, sprint race for qualifying. 
that was suggested. But uh, ultimately, I think the big, big picture stuff and the stuff that is important to look after the future of our sport, I think everyone has thankfully sort of all pulled in the same direction. And uh, yeah, it's nice to sort of see this uh, age of consensus in F1, which is something that has uh, maybe been lacking in the past. John, can you talk us through how the update system is going to work going into 2021? It's all come about because of McLaren's deal with Mercedes. Basically, Ross Braun came out and said, you know, if we if we gave them five years, everyone can go and prepare at their own time. But we're not. We've got they've literally got effect. Well, from now, only really half a year to get ready. And that's a massive change for McLaren to get the Mercedes engines into into their car. So can you just explain how it's going to work for, for McLaren and also for all the other teams? Yeah, it was a bit of turn and throwing over the the rules obviously they had to freeze the cars we we're in a you know a big crisis teams weren't getting income if nothing was done and we pushed on with the 21 cars uh with that scenario of not knowing when we go racing again we could have lost three four teams that was the, the danger f1 was facing so one of the measures was to carry over the cars but then that left mclaren in a bit of a pickle because they were changing engines so um there was a compromise put on the table that there would be some limited changes to allow them to change engine and then of course the rival teams who are suspicious think actually if they get to change engine they could make further change which benefit them on the performance front as well so a deal was brought up so there'll be some development tokens which you can apply to various parts of the car to choose where you make your upgrade over the winter mclaren has to use its two tokens to to switch engines um this is a factor that renault's cyril abitable talked about last week when he said that they're happy to keep daniel ricciardo um, up to date with their developments because they feel McLaren can't make any gains for next year anyway. Uh, we put that thing to Andrea Seidel, the McLaren uh, team principal, this morning in a in a teleconference. He says, yeah, sure, there are some compromises. It's not ideal, but the benefits of going to Mercedes will still outweigh, you know, sticking with the, the Renault for next season. So he's, he's pretty happy. He thinks there will be a gain for them next year. And it's a compromise that, you know, was important for Formula One, was important for McLaren. Uh, and will be good for everybody I think in F1 they, they never miss an opportunity to try and get one over on their other teams or, or be suspicious of what they're all up to and there's going to be a fair bit of controversy I think that's going to be immediately reignited in Austria in fact I asked I asked Christian Horner about these specific issues and he said well yeah they're F1 teams they, as, soon as, as soon as we're in the paddock as soon as we're under that racing bubble it's all going to be about gaining whatever advantage we can so let's let's look back uh, you know at the build up to Australia and what we were expecting to be a pretty a pretty feisty uh, atmosphere in the paddock anyway even without what was going on with the, with the unfolding pandemic because there were various things going on there was Mercedes and its DAS steering system Red Bull weren't particularly happy about that Racing Point managed to upset the, all of all of the midfield it seemed with their with their uh, uh, their use of the well their, their Mercedes inspired design and of course Ferrari had basically upset everybody with the engine settlement they conducted with the FIA over their 2019 power unit so what are you expecting to be the first one to cause trouble in Austria? I'll throw that out you at you if you don't mind. Well, I think I, I mean I think it's going to be really interesting to see that DAS system in operation um, because that's definitely that was the biggest talking point, uh, regardless of the uh, kind of FIA and Ferrari dramas and uh, and a and a copycat looking uh, racing point. But I think that's going to be the one that's going to provide potentially the most impact to, to the to the racing, which is what I think everybody's going to be focusing on once we get up and running again. Um, back chat aside in terms of the other the other areas, it's going to be this one that, that's obviously now since been outlawed for the next season, but we will be seeing it in operation. And it's going to be interesting to see if it even gives an advantage or if it was just a bit of a... Uh, 
smoke and mirrors to to anything else that was going on on that Mercedes. So it will be it will be an interesting one. I think that's that's the one that's going to be causing the most discussion points because it was such a big discussion point and now we've gone away and no one's actually been able to see it in action properly. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the one that we're going to be focusing on. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to the onboards of Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas's cars in those Friday practice sessions to see exactly how the system is being used or, you know, how they've adapted it or whatever. Um, so Luke, yeah, are you expecting any any protests potentially over Mercedes and over racing points? Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I think there's there's always sort of been this uh, suggestion of, oh, well, we might protest or we, we could sort of lodge something. And I think it, the fact that we won't know until probably after the race, like what, what exactly is going on and whether these protests are going to be lodged and how they'll be upheld and how the students will handle it. And the fact that we've only obviously got such quick turnaround with uh, races on the following two weekends as well. And uh, I know the FIA have said that they'll have uh, the stewards uh, be able to uh, work remotely as well uh, so that you'll have people sort of working on Zoom to to discuss matters and things such as that. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be another really interesting, I think, exercise in sort of how F1 does handle this this new normal. Um, Yeah, and I think with Mercedes, I think the big thing will be whether they do actually run DAS, whether they decide that it's not worth it, not worth having a possible protest against it. under under the part for May grounds, I believe is what uh, any protest would be would be put under. Uh, with the racing point, I mean they've always been very like confident that ultimately they're not in any breach. That ultimately it's there's nothing in the rules saying that they can't um, can't follow the design lead of another car because ultimately they've not taken any sort of IP or anything from Mercedes. Uh, they've taken a few parts, but that's all under listed parts. That's all perfectly fair. Um, so yeah, I would, I'd be, I'd be surprised if there was a protest against Racing Point. I think that they've, that they appear to have done everything by the book. With Mercedes, I think that's going to come purely down to whether they or not they want to run the risk of running DAS. If they do, I think it'll be, as Jess said, fascinating to see just how effective it actually is. Um, and then, yeah, what the reaction is from from the opposition camps. And uh, I just spoke about the age of consensus in F1, but in a few days' time, that could all come shattering shattering apart. It'd be quite fascinating to see. John, you you interviewed Jean Todd. I mean, looking back, it feels it was right at the beginning of the sort of the lockdowns and things were happening. And, and you know, it was really, really dawning how serious everything could end up being sort of business wise for so many teams and so many organisations in motorsport. But just on that Ferrari engine point, did you feel that that marked an ending point in that saga? Or do you think that that could still reignite this weekend in the coming races? No, I think I think it's still there. What has been fascinating is this this total pause between Friday morning in Melbourne uh, you know, we rolled into the, the paddock and there was the, the, the Chase Carey press conference and the discussions. And then we went to the paddock and I spoke to Kristen Horner. Uh, and you found out some snippets so that, you know, the, the DAS protest was on the cards if the, if the cars had run that weekend. On the Ferrari engine situation, there'd been this, the gang of non-Ferrari teams had sent letters to the FI asking for answers. And then it emerged in the Thursday night meeting in Melbourne that Mercedes had backed away from being a member of that that gang, so it left, in effect, Red Bull, you know, in charge of what they were going to do over the match. They're going to take it further. And nothing much has happened in between on this front. The focus has been on new rules, uh, the spirit of harmony. So I think what will happen is, you know, Thursday, Friday in uh, Austria, we'll see the gatherings again. We'll see the, the people start chatting, maybe probably on Zoom calls rather than face-to-face. Um, but there'll be a bit more impetus to these things. There'll be decision made on what they do about DAS and it could rest on how competitive Mercedes are there'll be a decision on what happens with Racing Point 
if Renault find they're on the, the back foot and Racing Point are doing very well, then you know that may be the impetus Renault need to do something about it. And I think on the Ferrari engine front too, um, you know, it may go quiet if Ferrari are struggling a little bit. There may not be a, a desire to push on that front too much, but the issue will still be there. And if Red Bull sense a chance to, you know, destabilise a rival if they come back strong in Hungary, then you can see them pushing to it. I think the competitiveness, you know, came to halt, crashing halt Friday morning in Melbourne, but it's going to be ignited pretty quickly down at the Red Bull ring. Absolutely. Well, we're going to move on now to an altogether more serious topic, which is obviously we've seen uh, recently around the world, the Black Lives Matter protests in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. It's really impacted in so many sports, including Formula One, really thanks to the outspoken nature and the, the campaigning and, and the calls that Lewis Hamilton has been making. And now we've we've seen it's, it's already had an impact. You know, he, he called out his fellow drivers effectively. He said, you know, I haven't seen anyone speaking up. Why not? What's going on? And it led to a whole wave of them responding. Some of them saying, you know look we did kind of want to respond but we just didn't know we didn't know the right words what was going on so he's already he's already had a a positive change positive impact there we've now seen formula one sort of has pushed forward its own diversity program with uh with we race as one there's going to be rainbows uh on the on the halos on the cars slogans things like that you know they're they're very they're very open very keen for you know the drivers to have their say that the drivers we know there's a story luke that you wrote earlier gone up on autosport.com about potentially the drivers taking a knee in austria and, and really showing their support for black lives matter there but yeah Luke if I, if I could just come back to you now I mean arguably or potentially I don't know I don't want to really make a judgment on it or whatever but a real big impact a real big thing that we're going to see is the fact that Mercedes are going to have an entirely new livery it's a, it's a black base car now it's still got all the sort of sponsors colours of Patronus and Ineos and things like that fantastic looking machine it really calls back your sort of your your 90 salvers and arrows but it's all been done in support of Hamilton uh, and things like that and that they've put out the figures of of the diversity in their team. Only 3% of the Mercedes F1 employees are from a black ethnic minority background. So can you just, first of all, just explain, uh, talk us through, talk us through the livery if I haven't said everything by accident, but uh, yeah, and what, and what you made of it really? Yeah. I mean, the livery, I think that is, that is an incredible statement. And, and when I first heard about it, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. Like that is such a, a big thing for a team, not only to change its visual identity so strikingly, but also for it to be the team that has been the the front runner in F1 for the last six years. And we get so used to the the, uh, sight of those two silver arrows side by side at the front of the grid. And that that image is now gone completely. Um, like it's now it's now a black base car, and it's a beautiful looking car. Yeah, I think they've done really well to uh, have the the black base um, incorporating the uh, Petronas and Ineos colours, as you said. Um, still keeping the speckled star design on the engine cover as well. It, it looks great, and I think that even in its own right, that is a really good looking car. But then you throw in the the sentiment and the meaning and why they've done it, and it it just evolves so much in terms of its significance and i think that mercedes have done such a bold thing and ultimately it's recognizing as a company that uh that they they have to do better and i think speaking for an industry as a whole um as you said mercedes did come out and say only three percent of our company identifies as belonging to an ethnic minority background and that that's just it's just not good enough and i think for motorsport as a whole it's it's a problem that needs to be solved and that's been spoken about a lot in recent weeks um lewis hamilton has announced that he's launching the hamilton commission uh working to look at sort of stem projects and things like that at a very very grassroots level and basically work out why people from uh ethnic minority backgrounds 
aren't getting into these industries early on and aren't making it to the top ultimately because it is something that, that does need to change and I know when Lewis had his initial call out and he called F1 a white dominated sport I know there was some pushback to that but it's impossible to look at it as being as anything but because it really really is and I think Mercedes by giving some real hard numbers I think that is evident proof of what must change um, uh, our colleague Jake uh, Boxall Leg he did a brilliant feature, feature this morning on autosport.com looking at the numbers of people who uh, have made it into motorsport who work in the ethnic uh, who work in um, the industry uh, from ethnic minority backgrounds and ultimately what this is going to do and I think that it, it is about affecting change. It is about projects such as the one Mercedes has said it will launch this year to really work at a grassroots level. Um, McLaren have said that they're working on initiatives as well. But I think the very visual facts of having two cars completely changing colour for this season, I think that's a, a really incredible move. So, uh, yeah, I, I was blown away when Mercedes announced it. And I really, really think it's sending a big message to the world about not only what Mercedes is doing, but also how F1 as a sport does need to change. And hopefully this can be a real step to highlighting why that change must happen. Jess, what have you made of of Lewis Hamilton himself in the last few weeks? Because he's been he's been so outspoken, and he always was. You know, he's 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 really, you know in the last few years really found himself and really willing to talk about so many topics, whether that's environmental or, or people's diets, what they should be doing, things like that. And he's really he really is a figurehead, and also just he's a true star for Formula One. He can go on chat shows in America, you know, if it was normal times and and, th- and things like that, and just and be recognised and just bring Formula One to so many to so many new audiences. But on this particular issue, he's been so outspoken. He's been at demonstrate or at a demonstration in London for Black Lives Matter, and he's basically going, "I'm not going to stop talking about this." You know, we, this is the moment to enact change. It's something that you know that, that, that we've spoken about that, that in in our industry, in the media as well, change needs to happen. And so we're going to keep talking about it. We're not going to let up on this. And I just think that's that's really important. You know, just if I may, may say say so from my point of view, but. What have you made of Lewis and what have you made of the last few weeks? I think it's a, it's a really interesting subject because so many times I've seen on Twitter the words that politics don't belong in sport, uh, that athletes should keep their nose out of things and just do their jobs. Um, and I think it's just such a closed-minded approach to actually what sport is. And um, someone actually sent me a really interesting article on um, ancient Greece, actually. I can't believe we're going back to ancient Greece now. But actually, um, governments and societies very often used sports to distract people from important matters going on in the world so that they were appeased and would just kind of go on with things as usual. Um, And the reason being is that sport is so important to a wide collective of people and the athletes that compete in those sports are idols, figureheads, people that command such a great amount of respect and they are people that can really enact change because first off they have a massive platform to do it on that you know the likes of an everyday person just doesn't have it would take them a lot more um of noise making to to really enact change and obviously there are still like if not millions of people going out there and doing their bit for society and and for equality um but these these sports stars these athletes have this special position and now they're not um one thing i did find quite uh interesting and and it got me thinking actually for a really long time is 
are they obliged to get involved? And I think the point is 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 no, because it would be it would be wrong to uh, to wade in on our topic that you maybe are unsure of or are uneducated in or need to do some more um, research on. Which is actually where I thought the likes of George Russell, Alex Alban, and Charles Leclerc, when when they were essentially outed by. Uh, Hamilton for having not said anything their response was actually very very considered and they said you know we've been ignorant to our own ways of doing things that have actually potentially made the situation worse so I've actually thought that it's been it's been interesting and and Hamilton you're right he's he's sometimes been criticized for maybe taking things too much at face value um but this is a topic that he has experienced himself so whilst you might say you know you can't it's wrong of you to to say that you are now a vegan because you've watched one documentary on netflix um this is something that he has experienced and he has he's lived through and it's really important that we listen to that because it's it he's close to it he's living it he's done it he's breathed it and whilst there is so much that we could be learning from that experience and it's 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 so important that people like him are are talking out and are being involved with how that people you know there shouldn't only have ever been one black f1 driver um the the ratios just don't don't add up but in the same vein you know f1 is a very exclusive sport in itself in the fact that there's only 20 seats available currently for anyone anywhere and that i think the biggest difference is as well as it's not um we're not looking to have any form of tokenism in the sport we're not saying that the very talented men and women that don't happen to be from uh, ethnic minority backgrounds should be replaced. What we're saying is that there should be a greater equality of opportunity available to anybody. Um, And that really does um, stem from uh, grassroots level. It's it's about education um, and pretty much all of the areas that the 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 foundation that Hamilton's setting up is looking to do it's it's about starting it right at the very beginning so that in years to come this won't even be a subject this won't even be something that we're talking about it will be the norm um but it's i think it's very very important to hammer home that we're not saying that these people should be replaced we're just saying that F1 especially could do with widening its net a bit in terms of uh, the kinds of people that it's attracting to the sport. Because when you're not from um, the demographics of people that you see a lot of in the paddock especially uh, and in the teams it's very hard to find role models or routes in that you can recognize um so in that sense it's about bringing the most talented people that we that we have on offer in the world and having them in those places and it not be um uh, them not being discriminated against just because of 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 who they happen to be um and Hamilton is is the perfect figure for head for that in Formula One. Absolutely. Now, obviously, this is a this is a season preview episode, so we we're, we're covering an enormous amount of topics, but we're definitely going to be coming back and and still carry on talking about diversity in motorsport um, throughout the year, throughout all the future. Because it, if that's one thing we can do to help, absolutely, we'll be doing it. But um, but John, moving on to 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 another big talking point, and and it's uh, it's one that fans always love talking about. It's it's driver changes now. There's going to be none for Austria compared to what we had at uh, uh, testing. But 2021, it's all going to be 
big major shakeup because of uh, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari have announced they're going to go their uh, their separate ways at the end of the year. Carlos Sainz Jr. is coming across uh, to replace him at Ferrari. Danny Ricciardo is going to go. Sorry, I always get this wrong. I'm, I'm terrible at pronouncing names, which you'd think I'd, I'd not be considering my own surname, but there we go. Daniel Ricciardo will be leaving Renault and going to McLaren next year. We don't know who's going to replace him at Renault yet. Um, Big, big topic of the extended off season, and I just wondered, really, you know, what what are you what are you what are you expecting from those drivers that know they're going to be on the move next year? And do you think, particularly in Ricardo's case, uh, there's going to be a bit of needle between him and Renault? Maybe Cyril Beatball is it, has he calmed down yet, considering what's happened to his to losing his uh, very highly paid star driver? Yeah, I think on the the Carlos Sainz and Daniel front, um, I don't think there'll be too much tension at all. I think the, there'll be a little bit of awkwardness initially. Uh, you know, Daniel talked last week when we spoke to him about he'd been to the factory and the been in the sim and, you know, not too many punches in the stomach or anything over that. But I think when he sees people for the first time, you know, inevitably there, you know, will be a, a little bit of a, you know, a disappointment in, in getting over that. But I don't think, you know, the, the shock of, you know, Daniel's departure when Cyril gave that, you know, the comment about, you know, needing commitment and good communications and, uh, long-term thought. I think it's just his personal disappointment that you know he brought Daniel into the team. They knew it was a long-term project. They knew there was a while to go, um, and then seeing it, seeing it go before the cars even run for the first time, obviously left him disappointed. But I think it's you know it's, it's done. It's dusted now. I don't think that'll be an issue. What is going to be fascinating though is how Sebastian Vettel deals with the Ferrari situation. Um, one of my colleagues, Ole Karpov, spoke to Martin Brundle um, over the weekend. Uh, you know, it's been one theory that Sebastian will be a bit crushed by it all, be a bit demotivated, won't be up for the fight, won't feel part of the team. Brundle has the opposite form, opposite viewpoint. He thinks Sebastian is going to be inspired by it. He says he'll fly. Uh, we've seen in the past how, um, you know, with Vettel and when he was up against Mark Webber at Red Bull, you know, team orders weren't important. He showed last year he's willing to, you know, go wheel to wheel and interlock wheels and bang wheels with Charles Leclerc when he was a part of the team. So now, you know, departing the team, he thinks Sebastian Vettel will be in there fighting for himself. We'll be pushing to prove a point. Uh, and that could inspire him. Um, it could make him brilliant. It could cause Ferrari some headaches. And I think that's going to be a real fascinating prospect about what happens if we come to a scenario where, you know, Ferrari prefer Charles Leclerc to be winning races, but Sebastian Vettel's fired up. He's got the bit between his teeth. And he says, no, I'm out here for myself. Have you, you know, have you had any more chance to think about what, how that might plan out for him and, and where you see his future, whether it's staying in Formula 1 with another team, going on sabbatical, maybe going elsewhere? What, what, what might happen? I think it's looking more and more likely that uh, this will be, for now, at least his last year in Formula 1. I think that other options elsewhere, I don't think they quite, they quite fit or make sense. I mean, there's sort of been the idea of uh, could uh, Aston Martin and that sort of the, the, the romance of sort of restoring a, a great brand back to glory in F1, could that maybe attract Vettel? But uh, I think the, the the racing point team as it is now, they've been clear that ultimately they've got long-term deals with both their drivers. So it's not, uh, while flattering, it's not really an option for them. And uh, yeah, Renault, I don't think really that's, that's going to give the appeal that it really needs for Vessel. I think that ultimately that it's uh, that's again going to be a long-term project. And the fact that when he made the announcement, he spoke so strongly about this uh, this uh, period, for this time off with the pandemic, it's really given him time to think and think about what he wants and the uh, the happiness that he wants from his from his F1 driving from his career. I think that's that 
really I think has sort of hit home that ultimately maybe he's just he's just not happy right now that he doesn't want to be with Ferrari as it is now and I think that he'll be perhaps refreshed by taking a year off uh, Mark Webber his uh, former teammate from Red Bull he said that he's it's the same and that he thinks that uh, Vettel has just run out of puff at Ferrari as it is that it's just not the project hasn't come together as it was maybe sold to him back in 2015 when he joined the team and uh, ultimately he's just run out of motivation and run out of energy which is which is understandable but I I, I think I agree with, with Weber that it would be nice to see Vettel maybe take a year off, have this year as, as a sort of uh, a fun year, a year where he can really just fly, hopefully, as Martin Brundle said. I think we saw on occasion last year, um, notably in Singapore, also in Canada as well, that he is still one of the best drivers in F1. Like He does still have the ability to win races and to be dominant. Uh, so, yeah, I really just hope that he can have a year off, enjoy the time with his young family, and then hopefully looking towards sort of 2022, by which point he'll only be, I believe, 34 or 35. So really still got years left in him. Uh, by then, hopefully be rejuvenated enough to, to find a competitive seat back in F1 and uh, rediscover some of the spark that has maybe disappeared in the, in the past year or two. Well, there's one more driver that I think it's worth talking about before we bring this podcast and this video to a close. Jess, Alex Albon, He'd done very well in his first year in Formula One, recovered from his early crashes, suddenly promoted into a Red Bull seat, kept it for this year. But he's sort of the only one of Class A that's not really sorted. We know the Ferrari driver lineup sorted. We know Max Verstappen will be staying at Red Bull. The fact that there is no opening at Ferrari, Lewis Hamilton's almost certainly not going to leave Mercedes. And quite frankly, why would he, especially with Ferrari now in a big hole? The potential uh, you know, car deficit is going to be carried over from this year into next Maybe Valtteri Bottas has a bit more of a question mark there with him at Mercedes, but again, if if he had the option, why would you why would you leave that squad? So Albon is the only one that doesn't really have a guaranteed or a cert, a set guarantee with all those parameters that I've just uh, waffled through. And um, how do you see the sort of the opening races playing out for him, and what does he really need to focus on? He's been very you know in testing. He was like, the team's going to give me time. They know everything that I can do. They're very understanding. Christian Horner last week when I spoke to him was sort of like, yep, yeah, we're happy with our driver lineup. If I had to make the same choices now as I did at the end of last year, I would. You'd expect him to say all that sort of thing. But what do you think we need to see from Albon early on in in this season? Well, it's the curious case of Red Bull, isn't it? I mean, they they love it, or in recent times anyway, they've loved a driver swap, and so. Um, obviously we only got to see uh, Alex in in that Red Bull for half a season and you know he did okay he did you know he did the bare minimum of what he he needs to do but he's also up against Max Verstappen which is quite a difficult uh, pairing to to shine against so you know he he does he does have to just be consistently within um, with, within a, a decent gap of, of Max I think um, and to show that he's got real pace which I think he definitely did I mean he was on for a podium quite heartbreakingly in, in Brazil that was snatched away from him at the at the final few turns but he's got it in him I think he's got it in him but it, he's still so young you know it, it was it was his rookie season last year and he got he got thrown into that Red Bull halfway through that must have been actually quite difficult because he does seem like very, a, much, a very feeling driver um, and to have had that happen and had to have it happen so publicly with Gasly being uh quite unceremoniously demoted it can't have been an easy half of a season because then you've then got the pressure of oh my gosh that could be me <laughs> if I if I if I mess up here they might stick me back in that Torosso or even worse they might they might kick me out altogether so I think yeah he's just an 
it doesn't help as well that it's it's at the their home Grand Prix. Uh, they're going to be wanting the highest result that they can get because they're going to want to be coming out of the block swinging because clearly um, that's where they're probably going to have a, a really decent advantage uh, across all of these European circuits that we have confirmed. So as long as he keeps it close to Max, I think I think he should be he should be all right. I'm going to put all three of you on the spot. We're going to do a bit of a bit of predictions, a bit of speculation, which of course will be utterly wrong. And I'll tell you why it's definitely going to be wrong. It's because I'm going to go first because it's not fair for me to just ask a question of you guys. Um, um, all of my predictions always end up being wrong. And it's not going to be a big surprise considering he's won there the last two years. I'm going to go Max Verstappen and Red Bull win the opening race, especially if it rains because of what we saw in Germany last year. So, well, I'm going to go clockwise from my screen, which means, John, you're up next. Who do you think is going to win this weekend? Am I allowed to agree with you? It's a bit worrying about your judgment that you're agreeing with me, but you're certainly allowed to put Max <laughs> Verstappen forward as a, as a potential yeah, race winner. Yeah, I just, just think that the nature, the nature of the circuit, the fact Honda's got an upgrade... Um, you know, the, the level of confidence Red Bull is showing. Uh, I just think that for that track in particular, I think it'll be a, be a Red Bull weekend, which therefore expect Max to, Max to do it. But longer term, uh, I think it'd be a different answer if you could ask me about the championship. But you didn't ask that, so... That's fine. Oh, maybe I should have done. Damn. No, we'll stick. We'll just we'll stick to we'll stick to race predictions because that they're silly enough by themselves. Well, next up on the way I'm looking at the screen is Luke. Who do you think is going to win this weekend? Uh, so I'm going to go for another man who's done very well in Austria over the years. I'm going to say that Valtteri Bottas is going to win uh, this weekend's season opener. Um, I think he's he's been pretty vocal about his training recently, and like he sounds he sounds really fired up. I don't know, and I know all drivers are sort of like, oh yeah, I've been working out a lot and like really trying to use this break for the best. But there's just something a little bit different about the way Bottas was speaking, like another sort of added steel really so uh yeah i think back to i believe it's the 2017 race that he absolutely dominated there i think that may see something uh, a little bit similar to that potentially so uh yeah i'm going to say a boss ass win to start the season okay so he's going to come on his radio and he's going to say uh, to whom it may concern luke smith <laughs> autosport thank you for yeah. your prediction i'm sure i'm sure yes. he definitely comes true on sunday uh finally jess coming to you who do you think is going to win on sunday in austria uh, I don't want to be boring, but I think I'm going to have to agree with, with you and John. Um, it just seems to be, at least over the past couple of years, it's just been Verstappen's track. Um, so I think unless for some reason there's there's something that... Well, I think, as John said, if, if, if we get something quite crazy like rain, then I think even more so it's going to play into their hands. So, And interestingly enough, we're not putting Albon up there, but I think that's probably a little bit unfair to have... Uh, to, to kind of say that he he could take it to Max, but who knows? Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to have to go for Max Verstappen. Although a, a Bottas 3.0 season opener again, like we had last year, that's going to set going to set the media and Twitter alight, isn't it? Really. Understandably, no one said a Ferrari driver, considering what we know about the team in testing and what they've said recently. Nobody said Lewis Hamilton though, so perhaps he'll uh, he'll be out to prove the Autosport podcast wrong. Um, well, I'm sure he, I'm sure he won't be, but there we go. Thank you guys very much for joining us. Thank you everybody to listening or for watching along. Thank you to our producer Martin for putting this all together. John, we hope you make it to Austria and uh, we'll see how this weekend goes. We're really excited. We're really looking forward to racing being back. We're going to bring you some amazing coverage on autosport.com, on motorsport.com. All of our race reports and analysis, all my driver ratings, which I'm particularly nervous about. It's going to upset a lot of people on the internet, no doubt. 
Uh, all of that will be coming over the couple of coming weeks. Do subscribe to autosport.com plus uh, motorsport.com prime. And we'll bring in all of our best journalism, all our features, all our new stories and race reports. We're really looking forward to Formula One being back to the wider motorsport community all coming back in the coming weeks as well. And yeah, thank you very much again for listening and watching and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.